are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Thank you very much, Barb. Well, it is good for us to hold up and honor good leadership because I think probably anybody who is old enough to have had a job, knows what it is like to experience poor leadership. One of my first jobs, I was 18, and I was working at kind of a, an up-and-coming restaurant. I didn't grow up in this area, so this was over in Wisconsin. I must have been influenced, I think, by the movie Cocktail and Tom Cruise, because my job at this restaurant was as a bartender, much to my parents' chagrin. But I told them, my justification for this job move was, said, you know, some of the loneliest people in the world sit at the bar, and somebody's going to serve them, so maybe it could be me, and I would have a chance to share Jesus' love with them. I did mean that sincerely. It was not a ploy just to get my parents' buy-in, and I found it to be quite true. I was young and inexperienced as a bartender. I was not even old enough to taste the drinks that I was making and recommending to people. But I remember there was this evening where, early on in my employment there, where the head chef from the open-air kitchen hollered over to the bar and called for a chef water. So I hollered back, said, coming right up, went to grab a glass and put some ice water in there for the chef, and the general manager stepped in and said, no, 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 I've got this, and he had me tend to another order that came in. Now, I didn't think of anything that first time, but as I worked there, night after night, I started to see what was really going on. The head chef would call for chef water, and I started to watch the general manager a little bit closer. And what he would do is take a styrofoam cup, so not one of our normal glasses, and he would fill it with ice, and then he would put something in there that looked like water, but most certainly was not. It was Belvedere Vodka. That was the chef water. 
Well, it didn't take long before the head chef's habit of having a chef water on the job got to be somewhat of a problem. He was, without question, a fantastic chef. He had opened this restaurant. He had designed the menu. But he was also an increasingly thirsty chef. You can imagine how such a thing would affect his ability to cook, his interactions with his sous chef and the station chefs and the other kitchen staff, until one night that summer, my first summer working there, it got so bad that the owner of the restaurant had to fire him in the middle of an evening shift on the job and escort him out. And it was ugly. And the next day it got uglier because during the peak of rush, that now-fired head chef rolled up on his Harley out front of the restaurant and stormed in to a full restaurant to confront the management. And it was just a mess. It was embarrassing for an otherwise quite classy restaurant. Does leadership matter? A head chef failing to lead his team? A general manager who acquiesced instead of correcting? An owner who let things go too far too long? Leadership matters. And today, in what Barb just read for us from Ephesians 4, we have the dovetailing of leadership and spiritual gifts. We're in the midst of our spring message series on spiritual gifts, these weeks between Easter and June, and we've been learning about these God-given gifts, these divine enablements given to the believer in Christ for the purpose of serving in the church and carrying out his purposes for us. In other words, looking at our subtitle, Serving the Common Good for the Glory of God. It's spring, so getting ready for outdoor bonfires, and this would be a time of year. I haven't been able to help yet, but my dad has certainly been out there at the log splitter. I'm thinking of how a log splitter is given fuel to fire the engine and power the piston. God so pours spiritual gifts into his people so that we can accomplish a given task. And that is spirit-empowered ministry and serving the church family. Now, in the case of the log splitter, what's the common good? The common good is feeding the fireplace or the bonfire so that all can gather around and enjoy its warmth. And the common good of the church is carrying out mission in ministry so that many can gather around the gospel and enjoy its benefits. And I'm so pleased to see many of you taking that spiritual gifts assessment. It's been great just to see the reports coming in and some of you emailing and texting me. It's been so exciting to see that. And I know some of you still intend to. And it's certainly not too late to take that assessment. My hope is that by next Sunday, May 15th, that the vast majority of us will have taken the assessment from middle school to the mid-90s and everybody in between of any age and stage in life, that many of us will take the assessment and either you're discovering your spiritual gifts for the first time or you're confirming what perhaps you have known to be true. Completing that assessment by next Sunday will be especially helpful because of what Michelle announced, and that is a first in the 12-year history of the Y Church. We're going to do a workshop. So we've had after worship meetings and classes and barbecues We've never had what we've called a workshop before, but we'll do it next week. And what that's going to look like is scattered then after worship throughout the YMCA, we're going to have small groups, clusters, that are gift-specific, 
where you get to go and pick one of those and learn all about that gift by a facilitator who also shares that gift with you. And so we'll have a little menu and a map for you to follow. And we won't be able to cover all 16. I think it's 16 that are in that assessment. But many of them we will provide next week in our workshop after church. So in preparation for that, as I said, complete that assessment. And it's going to give you your top three gifts. So out of about 16 or so, you'll get your top three. If you've already done that, then even today, stop by the connections table and you will find, I know last week we ran out, which is a great sign that people are picking them up, but we have a one-page description for each spiritual gift. So whatever you're finding, you can go grab that. There's also a reference chart. If you want a definition of all 16, you can pick up that as well at the connections table. And if you're with us via live stream, just email info at thewhychurch.org and we'll be sure to send that to you all in preparation for next week. And as Michelle said, if you want to share those results with us, that would be most helpful, especially as we line up the workshops and what to choose. Now one question I want to address logistically is some of you have asked, what do I do if my results are showing a tie? I'm getting the same score for something. Maybe even multiple ties. Now not everybody's going to have this happen, but I've heard it a few times, and so let me address it quickly. I knew, for instance, that our church administrator was one of the most spiritually gifted women I know. When I saw her results, sure enough, she had a whole bunch of spiritual gifts all lined up because she'd had multiple ties. Tara's out of town today, so I feel like I can give her the raspberries, and all she can do is shake her head through the live stream. So that may be the case where you're like, wow, you know, I've, I've got multiple ties and all these things coming in. Two things you could do. You could keep them all in view. You certainly can do that. Or you could read up on them and then kind of hone in on what is ringing most true for you. So a different example, in in my case, my one and two were decisive scores. And then I got to three, where you're supposed to have gift number three. And there were kind of multiple things coming in as a tie. I chose to focus on the top two. Some of you may have ties further up. And so I leave that to you on what to do and discern. But please join us for the workshop next week. We made it a doable time commitment. It's from 11 to 11.45. So we'll clean up the gym and then spread across the Y. 45 minutes. I will remind us that, you know, the twins usually don't play till 1.10 or so. And the wild, we'll have to see where they're at. But that'll be later in the day as well. 3.30? Thank you, Corey. All right. Besides, spiritual gifts are for life. Minnesota sports teams just tend to break our hearts, right? So... We'll make the right investment. All right, wanted to cover that in preparation for next week. Now let's look at this reading in Ephesians. The Bible gives us, and that's what we're spending these six weeks doing, looking at various passages detailing spiritual gifts, and we're taking up the most pertinent. 1 Corinthians 12, which we'll come back to in a couple weeks. Last week we were in 1 Peter 4, this week Ephesians 4. And as I said, this week's passage is focused on the intersection of spiritual gifts and leadership. Now, not exhaustively. Like, we're not going to talk about elders and deacons and church governance today. Those would be other passages. But here in Ephesians 4, we're dealing with some of the gifts of leadership that God has given the church. Now, lest gifts and leadership sound like maybe kind of a dry subject to you this morning, let me just go back and remind us of what it is like to be under poor, 
or misguided leadership. It's painful. I mean, many of you could tell your own chef water stories from your past. The other day I was at a Little League baseball tournament, and I tell you what, that is a place where you can see poor leadership on display, unfortunately, whether it is coaches or parental leadership. We don't want to be that kind of place. And so this is a conversation this morning where we all want to listen and perk our ears. This is deeply relevant stuff to the kind of Christ-centered community that we're called to be. So let's take a look at the passage. Though really our focus is going to move us to verse 11 and these five-fold gifts that we'll read about there. The surrounding verses before and after are so compelling and so interrelated to spiritual gifts of leadership that I just thought we'd have Barb read a little bit more of the passage. And so we'll move quickly, but I do want to set us up for those five things by looking at the start in verse 1. Paul says there, As a prisoner for the Lord, we're reminded he's writing from jail to the Ephesians. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. I look back at my records and sure enough, in 2011 is when we studied the book of Ephesians from front to finish. And some of you were there. We would have been in the community room, not here in the gym It was a wonderful study of a wonderful book, and I think probably now, it's been 10 years, it's going to be time sooner rather than later to head back and study Ephesians all over again. But if you're familiar with this book, this is the chapter, chapter 4, where Paul turns the corner into application. He has spent three chapters up till now teaching and expounding on what Christ has done for us, and now he turns the corner... And he wants to tell us, here's how we get to respond to what we've been given. These are the imperatives. Here's what we get to do because of what Christ has done. The Phillips paraphrase, J.B. Phillips in the 70s wrote a paraphrase that says, As God's prisoner then, I beg you to live lives worthy of your high calling. Do you know that there is a high calling that God has on your life? Isn't that a wonderful promise from scripture? Do you know that personally? He doesn't feel ho-hum about you. He doesn't look at you and then kind of set the bar down here like a high jumper who's just a beginner. No, he has a high calling upon your life. It's a high calling to be a child of God. So we celebrate baptism today and to let your light shine. So that's the exhortation at the top. And then Paul spells out What that looks like, and he gives us a list of, depending on how you count, four or five things in verses 2 and 3. He says, be humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep unity. And I want you to notice how living a life worthy of God's calling is expressed through our horizontal relationships one to another. So living out this high calling does not mean you become a monk or a nun and you go retreat and it's just all vertical, these spiritual disciplines that you live out between you and God. Now Paul defines this with messy, person-to-person interactions. Here, in the church family, is where you live out this high calling. 
This place where God has created an alternate society, much of the theme of Ephesians, this alternate society that looks different than the world. A new family that doesn't look like a dysfunctional biological family, but a new spiritual family in Christ. This is a countercultural community that you have stepped into here that lives by totally different standards than the world. And it is here that we're meant to find in Christ that our fractured, divided humanity is healed and made whole. And alienated, sinful people, and I am chief among them, are people who are restored to relationship with God. Ephesians 4 is one of the two classic passages in the New Testament on Christian unity. The other would be John 17, which, by the way, contains the founding verse of the YMCA, which is now 176 years old. Our passage says, Make every effort to keep unity. Do you think our political system makes every effort to keep unity? It's hard to ask the question with a straight face, isn't it? Not at all. I mean, I haven't lived nearly as long as some of you who are older and wiser than me, but after 40 years, it seems to me that the polarization of our country is one of the defining characteristics of our time. Where is it supposed to be different? Right here. You need to see something different. You need to retreat from all that. Come here. Be part of this place that is not perfect by any means, but this is a place where the Spirit of God is at work in the local church. This is an alternate society to the one out there where the Holy Spirit equips us to make every effort to keep unity. Paul's teed up where he wants to go from there in verses 4 to 6. We have this towering statement of unity in Ephesians 4. Many believe that it was perhaps a hymn or a creed that was used in the early church. I will read for us what the passage says. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So there you go. You count up those lines, and how many do you have? Seven. When you see the number seven in the Bible, that is a symbolic number that means completeness, wholeness. And like the passage last week, we see in subtle ways the Trinity on display in this passage. The Trinity in whose name we baptize. The Spirit. The Lord. That's Jesus. And one God and Father of us all. And after establishing our unity, as we now shift into this later portion of the passage, Paul shifts into the diversity of spiritual gifts. Because unity here does not mean uniformity. It isn't some bland plate of food with all the same color on it. Verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Grace is related to the word that we've seen the past two weeks, gifts. Spiritual gifts are ultimately grace gifts. And notice again, I'm going to ask you this every week because it shows up in every passage that we'll study. Who gets these gifts? Each of us. 
Isn't that amazing? All these different passages, we keep running into these words. Each of us. Spiritual gifts are given to each and every believer in Christ. And that's why we've invited the whole church to please take this assessment. Because ministry is not just something for hired church staff. It is not just something for appointed volunteer leaders who serve on our leadership team like Aaron. No, this is an every member ministry that you are part of here. And the only way that we can be truly effective is if we are all engaged in the mission and ministry of the church. Each one playing their part. Now in this passage, Paul's particular concern is leadership. And verse 11 brings this list that is sometimes called the five-fold ministry. And it says in verse 11, So Christ himself gave, here we count them up as well, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Five spheres of leadership, each role unique and distinct from the others, and yet working together for the common good of the church and the glory of God. And we'll say something just in our last few minutes about each of these briefly. Apostles. There's really three ways in the New Testament that the word apostles is used. The first actually would be that all of us, in a sense, serve or function as apostles in the sense of the root word. Apostle means sent one. And so we could look at a verse that would detail this, but for the sake of time, we'll skip it. The church has an apostolic mission that Jesus gave us as he sends us out. In that sense, the New Testament will use that language about us serving in that way. It's not the sense that's meant here. Definition two, apostles is sometimes used as apostles of the church and those who are sent out as messengers or missionaries or those with a special errand to run. And again, we could look at some New Testament passages, but we won't for time's sake. That again is not the one that's used here. We have to get to the third definition and that's the one Paul has in mind. The apostles of Christ were this small and distinctive group that included the 12 disciples, Matthias, who in Acts replaces Judas, Paul, James, Jesus' brother, and possibly one or two others. Again, a small distinctive group. And these were those who were personally chosen and authorized by Jesus, and they were eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. That's the sense of the word here. Those who founded the church and recorded God's word for us in the New Testament. And in that sense, there are no apostles today. No apostolic succession extending from them. Their authority is still with us. And where do we find it? It's in the pages of the New Testament. Now, we can have apostolic ministries That certainly exists. We might think of pioneer missionaries. We might think of those around the world or in the United States who are planting churches. So that exists. Then we come to prophets. Some of you, your ears perk up because you've identified prophecy through that discernment assessment as one of your spiritual gifts. Now right off the bat, I'm going to tell you you've got to come back next week because prophets is used in a different sense here the next week in Romans when we'll talk about the spiritual gift of prophecy. Here it's referring to this office, this leadership role that is very distinct. And that is the Old Testament prophets and ultimately concluding with John the Baptist in the New. The prophets were those who were serving as God's spokespeople 
as sort of the mouthpiece of God. And so they'd often preface their message in the Old Testament with, thus says the Lord. And they would pass that message on. And like apostles in that sense then, there are no prophets in that sense today. If someone were a prophet in that sense, then that would mean that we would have to add to Scripture as they reveal direct revelation from the Lord, but the canon of Scripture is complete and closed. So you see how Paul has started this list. These are brackets for us when he starts by saying he has given to us, to the church, apostles and prophets, the recipients of God's revelation and the foundation of the church still today. From there then, number three is evangelists. Now in one sense, we're all called to evangelism, proclaiming the gospel. It's the responsibility of every Christ follower. And yet some of us have a special gifting for it. And some of you are seeing it pop up and maybe even surprise you in that spiritual gifts assessment. Someone with the gift of evangelism, it's going to express itself in different ways, but evangelistic preaching, the classic example might be a Billy Graham. That would be one expression of it. Others of you may have this gift for making the gospel particularly plain and understandable. I have seen Katie Vick do this, not just with our kids, but with all of us, time and time again. Others, it may express itself this way. You have a gift for helping people come to that moment of decision. Like, I've heard about Jesus, I know about the Bible, but you speak with them, and they're compelled to then make that personal commitment to Christ. Others of you find that sharing your faith comes actually quite naturally to you. And I don't mean like walking door to door, but sharing with a friend at school or with a coworker, or somebody in your neighborhood. I've noted over the years we have partnerships and ministry in Ethiopia, Rogi Village, chief among them, that the Ethiopian churches often have multiple evangelists on the staff of their churches. I have never known an American church to have an evangelist on their staff. And I've asked myself over the years if perhaps we are behind. Fourth and fifth, Paul lists pastors and teachers. Pastors being those entrusted with the spiritual care and nurture of a congregation. And so we could say pastor shepherds and teachers. There is some debate about if pastors and teachers are one in the same gift or if these are distinct That has to do with the Greek grammatical structure that if I mentioned here at the latter end of a message on a rainy day, I'm pretty sure even me would be nodding off. So we'll skip that for now. I would lean towards thinking they're distinct gifts. Now in a sense, all pastors are teachers of the word, at least in some fashion. But I don't think that all teachers necessarily have the gifting or calling to be pastors. We have some very gifted teachers who spend time leading our kids and our Y kids time, teaching the Bible. But they're not necessarily serving as a pastor of the church. Does that make sense? There is distinction. And yet all of this brings the underlying thread of these five gifts now to bear, that these leadership gifts are integrally connected to the Word of God. If you had to kind of wrap all this together and put a bow on top, I would say these are all word gifts. They're all teaching gifts that are vital to the church. And I want to share one last portion of the passage with you as we close, not to expound upon it, but to show you that this goes somewhere. Look at the highlights. 
These gifts are given for a reason, and it is to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, like we're going to watch Clara and Luke mature in the faith. That's our calling too, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Back to the head chef. I wonder... I thought back to that story now over 20 years ago in my life. I've wondered where he is today. I've wondered if he's still alive. I've wondered if he ever got his drinking under control. And you know what I've wondered? I wondered if the church in my hometown was ever able to effectively reach him with the good news of Jesus that he so needed to hear. Our world is desperate for good leadership in the church and outside the church. And my prayer is that this place, the years that the Lord gives to us here in the Y Church, that this would be a primary producer of the next generation of leadership that our church and our country so need. And to that end, let's pray. Lord, we recognize today that you are the true leader of the church, our great high priest, our shepherd, and you tend to your flock so well. Lord, as we're digging into spiritual gifts here, we feel that you've called us to your word and to these messages with a great sense of purpose, that we are on the cusp of a new season in the life of the Y Church, that your people, that one to another, we will be built up in love and in service to each other that would be such an effective witness to the world. Lord, we could all tell stories from our own lives and people we've met where things have gone so awry And Lord, you first redeemed us. And now you've made us vehicles of your redemptive work. And I pray that we wouldn't just close out a worship service here in the next couple minutes with a blessing that we would take and receive, but that we would bring it to the world. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.